Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And uh, by now it's January and we've got a, you know, we've done all of our December shows and we're recording this in December, December yeah. 11th. So happy new year, everybody. And happy new year to you too, buddy. Yep. Yep. All is well. And uh, what's new in the wild frontier that is your beach house? I'm wondering about making a YouTube channel just about the logs coming and going from my beach house. <laughs> Like, you know, just add some silly horn noises and uh, uh-oh, that kind of thing. Because when there's a very high tide and a bit of a gale blowing, mm. you literally can have a, a – I had a log, a good size log, like you could ride this log, come into the boathouse, go all the way to the back, come back down the other side, and then wash out. Never touch oh, the man. walls. It was just crazy. But it's like a thousand pounds with a log bombing through there. I have a picture in my mind of logs coming into your beach house being ridden by otters and sunglasses that are just sort of sitting, you know, sunbathing <laughs> on the back of the logs. We did have two <laughs> otters drop by in the morning the other day, but it wasn't a high tide. They don't, I think when it's stormy, they go, you know, to the bar. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what you ought to do. You ought to have an otter bar otter in the bar. boathouse. Uh, there, there are pictures of the otters on the boat rails and like eating shellfish. It's very cute. Ah, that is cute. Who can say that they have otters? That's really just cool. All right. Well, really let's yet. roll the music for Better Know Framework. Awesome. All right, dude, what do you got? Well, I found this on a list of top 10 GitHub projects that every .NET developer should check out. And uh, it's an open source uh, platform, really, called Serenity. Oh, yeah. And uh, it's an ASP.NET MVC TypeScript app platform mm -hmm. designed to simplify and shorten development of data-centric business apps, so line of business apps, service-based architecture. The whole goal is to make development easier, reducing maintenance costs by avoiding boilerplate code, and reducing the time spent on, re on repetitive tasks and applying best software practices. So it's sort of like something that, you know, the, the template uh, in templates in Visual Studio are great, right. but this takes it to another level. And they have, uh, you know, the free MIT version, which you can get at GitHub. Nice. And they also have um, commercial support and a commercial option. I'm not sure what that is, but um, suffice to say that the MIT license provides the ability for you to use it completely in commercial applications. So... Yeah, you got to think if you're building forms over data, why wouldn't you work from a template? Right. Just, you know, they, these guys, these guys have got to look to it. They got support for it. If you want to spend some money as well, obviously there's a community around it. This is good looking, man. It Nicely is good done. looking, yeah. and you know, especially if you if you're not a fan of CSS and writing it by hand. Sure. <laughs> and and who is really? Who is right? <laughs> Uh, everything's open. The programming model is declarative. Um, everything's responsive. It's just, it's just pretty good. And, and, uh, some people that you and I know really like it. Nice. Yep. All right. That's cool. Nice find. There you go. Love it. Who's talking to us, Richard? Grabbed a comment off of show 1447, the one we did with Vishwas back in June of 2017, when we were talking about building cloud redundancy. So I think we're going to talk a little cloud today. So I, I think we're going to be in the clouds. Yep. Another cloud thing. And this is a comment from Matthew Fortunka, who said, this was a great show before going deep on this whole software thing. <laughs> I, <love that. laughs> I trained as a chemical engineer. 
Ah. Which is not that unusual. Engineers end up at software because it's a it's a way of thinking, and I think it's a good way of thinking too. Yeah. And what struck me was the parallels between the two professions because I think software is an engineering discipline too. Mm-hmm. When designing chemical systems, we were taught to look at the seams between equipment, reactors, heat exchangers, pumps, and ask the following questions: How do these elements interact? If we get more flow or less flow or no flow or reverse flow. Right. Now you're thinking about chemicals moving through a system, right? Just to yep. think about what would happen there. It is the process of asking these same questions that creates robust systems. And while the questions may be different, like null data, bad data, access data, or bad actor data. Right. The same idea applies for distributed systems regardless of the infrastructure. I thought that was a great insight because I think it's absolutely true, especially mm-hmm. when we think in the cloud where we have all these different platforms and plug-in models. Right. Where you really, you know, you can probably trust that Cosmos DB isn't going to lose your data. Your question is the seams between, you know, your logic app tier and your Cosmos DB, and are you doing the right things in there, and how are you going to manage all these varying flows? Right. Right. It's right. very insightful. And Matthew, thank you so much for your comment. A copy of Music to Code By is on its way to you. And if you'd like a copy of Music to Code By, write a comment on the website at rocks.com or on Facebook. We publish every show there. And if you write a comment on Facebook and we read it on the show, we'll send you a copy of Music to Code By. And definitely follow us on Twitter. He's at Rich Campbell. I'm at Carl Franklin. Send us a tweet. Serenity now! <laughs> <laughs> wow, a little George Costanza. All right, I can do that. I was George's father, actually. Jerry Stiller. Oh, that's I can... right. Yeah, George Costanza's yeah. father. Serenity now! Is he ever named? I don't know if he's ever named. I, I think he was. I just can't remember. That that's was the right. 90s, man. It's a long time ago. Way back in the 90s. <laughs> anyway, let's bring on Vishwas Lele. He's been on our show many, many times. He may have been one of the first people to talk about Azure on .NET Rocks. Uh, yeah, pretty much. Michael Stiefel, yeah. Uh, he's an Azure MVP and a regional director and CTO at AIS. Welcome back, Vishwas. Thank you, Carl and Richard. Glad to be back. Very, very good to have you back again. Um, we have the, the topic of becoming cloud native. Now, what does that mean? Just cloud first? Well, you know, cloud native is something that has come along, I would say, in the last two years. And I should say that, uh, you know, like your listeners, I'm also trying to understand cloud native. You know, I've been a cloud guy, as you said, for a number of years. Yeah. And then I've been watching with a lot of interest and using some of the projects that that form what is known as the Cloud Native Computing Foundation, uh-huh. which, is a, which is a foundation under the Linux Foundation. And the idea is that it is a it is think of as as a platform for incubating a number of projects and kubernetes of course is being the most prominent one and probably the first one but there are a whole host of projects and the idea is that if you use the general principles of cloud native computing and you use these projects then you can build a modern application which can run well not only in a public cloud it can run in any of the cloud providers, yep. whether it is AWS, Azure, or, or, or uh, Google, or it could also run with using the same principles, run well in an on-premises environment. So it's really about rethinking your applications so that you are taking advantage of sort of the modern 
principles of 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 cloud native development, as mm -hmm. they call it. Mm -hmm. So more cloud as architecture rather than cloud as product. That's right. Although there is a, there is a product component of that, so that's very interesting. So, uh, you know, of course, uh, Kubernetes has sort of taken over the world. It seems like, and you know, there was when we talked last time, you know, there was there was a war between um, between various orchestrators, uh, container orchestrators, I should say, and everybody seemed to have settled that Kubernetes seems to have won this debate. And Kubernetes, of course, came out from Google's long years of learning how to run these large number of containers at scale. And, you know, right. I was reading some article a few months back that they may even be spawning something like a billion containers a week. There was an article maybe a two or three years old. Jeez, so they had to crazy. <laughs> so they had to learn a lot of things of, about how to manage that at scale. And they developed certain tools and systems to manage that and a framework internally to develop that. And then they decided to take parts of that framework and lessons learned and created Kubernetes. And rather than making just a Google open source project, they, they went ahead and created this, this uh, cloud native computing foundation, and which is part of Linux foundation, gave that project. So that's the first project to graduate out of CNCF. There are other projects that have graduated to other projects. But what is very interesting, uh, Richard and Carl, is that CNCF is not a standards body. And we have, we have seen how that has ended uh, for us in the past. So they're yeah. not saying we are going to write these standards about you know, how you should be writing the app service and how you should be doing the networking and things like that. They invite projects which have already gotten some traction and Kubernetes was one of them, and mm. the recent edition is Envoy, for example. These projects have gotten already traction with the community and the industry, and then you can become part of the CNCF, mm. and um, you know, as long as you agree to follow the code of conduct, they are, CNCF is not micromanaging these projects. Sure, well, so we really just need a sort of a buzzword to shorthand, you know, we're, we're using... Uh, containers, we're using microservices, we're using orchestration, and yep. you know we're not we're not necessarily managing individual services. We're not using VMs, right? That's 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 right. Uh, so the idea here is that you know the principal part. What Richard was saying, the principal part is that you know you build your applications not as monolithic units. You build them as as smaller units or microservices, if you like to call them. And the idea is that if you if you have these small components, you can scale them better. Uh, you can incrementally change them without having to do one big rewrite. Mm. There are a number of benefits. You know, they use an interesting term called the blast radius. So if something yeah. happens to one microservice, you know, your entire application is not taken down. So I think everybody, whether you want to use the term microservices or not, everybody would agree that that's a good idea. You know, to build your application. That term that blast app. radius, Richard Campbell uses to express how much you liked the meal. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, a new, that's a new usage for me. But <laughs> no, but you're smiling because you've seen meals like that. It may not have been you, but you definitely know when a two-year-old is like their meal because it's a heck of a blast radius. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, so, I didn't mean to derail a serious no, conversation uh, here. 
serious conversation yes, yes exactly <laughs> so so what i was saying was that there are the common principles of you know microservices and then you know once we have microservices you know you microservices like anything is not free so you have just suddenly blown up the number of moving parts in your application mm. and now you need you know better instrumentation better observability for your containers and and scalability and things like that right so then you need you need other projects so if you don't take those principles which i think we can all agree on are good principles for building your modern applications now you pair them up to popular projects that have been trying to accomplish this so so kubernetes for example a great way to if you have lots and lots of containers and then how do you distribute them across machines yeah so you know well one of the common problem we have talked about in the past is hey you're paying for the entire vm but you're only using 10 or 11% of the capacity because that's what your cpu utilization is right so one of the things orchestrators can do for you is optimally pack these containers so that you're making the most of these machines mm. so so kubernetes becomes a project of cncf and you know it, it meets certain criteria so it's a is the first project to get graduated from cncf the other two being uh, envoy and something called the prometheus should we talk a little bit about these cuz i mean they're obviously different but it, it's interesting to think about in the context of cloud native for these for these projects yeah so yeah we should talk and those are the three graduated ones but there are a number right. of other ones which are in the incubating stage and other mm-hmm. stages and and there's a whole movement of uh, projects and which is incredible for me to watch as how much development there is going on so let's just talk about richard what you said kubernetes we have already talked about an orchestrator that can manage yeah. your containers and give you resilience and things like that let's talk about envoy uh, as the other project that got graduated uh, from this and and envoy is something that came out of lift the car hailing service oh and yeah lift needed uh, needed some proxy for a high speed proxy to to manage a lot of their internal applications and and things like that and you, your listeners can there's a very good talk by the creators of 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 envoy that you can listen to but envoy became this this uh, you know highly scalable proxy uh, which is then used in conjunction with kubernetes so in order to explain that let me step back okay so for kuben kubernetes for example and, and envoy is more than kubernetes but I'll, let me explain envoy in the context of kubernetes if that that helps so you know there's another pattern which has sort of taken the world by storm called the sidecar pattern and you know when i describe to you your listeners will say okay what's new about this but hang on so sidecar pattern is so we've talked about containers let's talk about a new term called pod which is can be a collection of containers and that's the smallest smallest unit of deployment in kubernetes so let's say i have a, a web application i can drop that into a pod i can also have another container which is commonly termed as a, a sidecar which can take advantage of the unused cycles by my primary container and do some things like you know i might have a web server which is going and writing stuff to some logs and then i might have a sidecar which may take these logs and push it out to some cloud storage so you know that's the sidecar pattern that pattern turns out has taken uh, a lot of prominence 
because using that sidecar, people have been able to do certain interesting things. Now, let's park this over here, come back and talk about Envoy. So what people have been able to do is take Envoy, inject it as a sidecar. So I might have an application running in container inside a pod. Now I can inject an Envoy sidecar. And by virtue of having the sidecar, I can now monitor the traffic. Since it's a proxy, all the traffic is flowing through Envoy and it is high speed, so it is not impacting your performance. And now by virtue of having that proxy, I can essentially improve the observability of my communication between these containers. I can apply traffic management rules. I can say only send 2% of my traffic here. I can do all kinds of things there. So Envoy has taken this important role of, you know, you probably heard of a term called service mesh. Yeah. which is about managing these microservices containers at scale. And there is one other way to describe, which I found quite quite useful of describing Envoy is, you know, up until now, when we write applications, so, so leave containers aside for a second, let's say you're using traditional virtual machines and a virtual network to build your application. When you were deploying your application, so you created this topology of network and then you brought someone else to deploy your application there, then the application developer really needed to understand what your network topology was. Mm. Right? They needed to understand how the traffic is flowing. They needed to understand, hey, how will I hit the internet? And you know, if I have hybrid connectivity, where will my traffic flow from? What are, was, what are my user-defined routes? You know, uh, How are my screening traffic between different network segments. So I really mm. need to understand these, otherwise my application will not work and I spend time debugging that. And, and which has been just a challenge. The nature of debugging these microservices in and of itself, especially in production, is just practically impossible without something like this. Without something like this, right. Mm. So so what the other way, you're absolutely right, the other way the Envoy has been described, Envoy has been described is, think of this network for the applications. So you are bringing the network essentially, you're hiding the complexity of the underlying topology and user-defined routes and what have you, and bringing it to the needs of the application. So that's the other way to describe it, which I thought was pretty intuitive because now I don't have to worry about sort of the underlying details. So my, you know, the other thing to talk about here is if every time a container came up and your, your listeners will know, Every container gets its own IP address. Yeah. And in co every pod gets its own IP address. So if we were to get a new IP address every time and we had to go back to the Azure portal and get ourselves a new IP address and yeah. and, and and muck around with those details, that would never work. You know, what we would need is something dynamic which uh, does that for us. So that's those are the kinds of projects. So I talked about Envoy, uh, Richard. We talked about we talked about Kubernetes. Of course. Hey, before we leave Envoy um, uh, aside and move on, I, I just want to let everybody know that Envoy, it, the performance comes because this is a, it's written in C++, right? And it's out of process. So it's it's got a little stub and then it it has this out of process architecture. So very small memory very, footprint. Very important point. Yeah. Carl, sorry, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but two very important points. You, you did a better job of describing than I did. Written in C++, and just to give you an idea of numbers, uh, 
they talk about, I've obviously not tested this myself, but the creators of Envoy talk about something like a million messages a second being able to handle that kind of volume. The technical the term for that is stinky fast. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a good enough standard for me in terms of how how well it scales yeah can you just hold that thought for one minute while we take a moment for this very important message this episode of dotnet rocks is brought to you by datadog datadog integrates seamlessly with container technologies like docker and kubernetes so you can monitor your entire container cluster in real time see across all your servers containers apps and services in one place with powerful visualizations, sophisticated alerting, and distributed tracing. Start monitoring your microservices today with a free trial. As a bonus, Datadog will send you a free t-shirt. Visit dd.netrocks.com to get started. Okay, we were talking about Envoy, the small memory footprint, but there's something else that you wanted to mention there. I wanted to reiterate on what you just said, uh, Carl, which was it is out of process, and that's very important because let's say I have a microservice already deployed and then I deploy another microservices as part of my orchestrator and I'm making a call into the microservice. Now, we know a good uh, practice in building cloud application is to inject proper retry logic. We know right. that transient, transient faults can occur in the cloud. A good principle is to have some sort of a circuit breaker pattern. Yeah. So, so you have to have <laughs> these kinds of things. We we talked about this in the last time, the resilience talk. Sure. So people listening to this talk will say, hey, fine. I have libraries like Poly, mm -hmm. which I can inject as part of my client, and I and I get that capability. Of course you can, but then you have to inject or you have to you have to you know include that as part of your application. Being out of process means you can have those circuit breaker traffic control, retry logic in and out of uh, the process manner so you can go get new libraries and change them and things like that. Right. So that's very, that's a very important principle. Then your core application is not burdened by having these capabilities. I also should mention that in an up-and-coming version of Poly, we're going to support uh, uh, serverless architectures because, you know, the problem with serverless and functions and lambdas is there's no state. Right. And, you know, how are you going to retry if there's no state? So how are you going to keep any kind of, you know, metrics and figure out what to do if you're retrying a number of times? So that, that distributed architecture is really important. I'm, I'm one of the questions I had here, uh, Vishwas, is why did Lyft bother to write yet another proxy? Because we've had HA proxy and Nginx for ages. Like, why add another one? That's that's right. In fact, if you look at uh, you know the Envoy page, EnvoyProxy.io, I believe, and you go through the background of why they created it, they they do say that you know they they learned from uh, the existing proxies, the, the ones you mentioned, the HA proxy. They said yeah. they learned from that. They've incorporated many of the things that they learned. They had some specific scaling requirements, for example. Uh, the other important difference is that by default, they support HTTP2. Others right. uh, support HTTP2, but but by default support others. So th there are things that they needed, uh, which is an extension of what was already available. I think you're also being walking carefully around that both 
HA Proxy and Nginx ended up going making commercial versions. And so their best features are sort of only available in the commercial version. The open source didn't get the best bits. And so, you know, at some point, if you were using Nginx and you pushed it to a certain level, you had to turn around and buy the closed sourced Nginx Plus. Yep. It just doesn't make sense. And Lyft doesn't make money off of writing proxies. Lyft makes money off of providing rides. So they just decided to make the best proxy they could and simply release it, which kind of blows up the other guy's business models to some degree. But it's a proxy. Yeah. And, you know, imagine the excitement around a proxy. Which, which it is. <laughs> Woo. <laughs> Make it fast. Yeah. Give the core feature set. Maintain it. Go. Mm. Mm. And and then work with communities to incorporate the proxy into different environments. It doesn't matter. You could be running an application which is running on completely IaaS or VMs. You can inject Envoy there as you can within a Kubernetes environment. So I think that's the other part. That, that is really flexible and, and powerful for people to use. I didn't think we could talk about proxies quite this long. I'm kind of impressed with that. Because <laughs> <laughs> we still haven't talked about Prometheus. We, we haven't talked about Prometheus, which is the third project to be, to be graduated. I can't remember the order. Maybe it would have been the second to graduate, and, and Envoy is the third one. But those are the three that are graduated from from CNCF. Mm -hmm. So Prometheus is, uh, think of it as a highly dimensional store, time series store for capturing this information. Uh, all of the uh, information that is that is emitted by your systems. I, so that that's essentially Prometheus. It has a powerful query engine, great visualization, uh, stores time series data. Yeah. And it has alert alerting built in and, you know, integration with, uh, other platforms, uh, so integration with, with the Docker, HA proxy, StatsD, JMX. So it, it provides a lot of these capabilities. So which, uh, Richard begs a question that, uh, which really brought us to this conversation, if I may go back, uh, when you and I were talking over email last week, mm -hmm. is, so you have these interesting projects, you have Kubernetes, you have uh, Envoy, you have Prometheus, how does it relate to the services in Azure and, and how what is the link between the two? How, how should Azure developers who have been using the past services for last many years think of these services and how should they architect them in a cloud-native world? Is, does, does that sound like a good question that we want to mm -hmm. discuss? Absolutely, because I, I think it's this is sort of gets to the essence of this whole idea of if I'm cloud-native, what am I doing different? Right. So, so I, I think it, it will take a few months or maybe longer to to play out and see how it goes. Microsoft, of course, last November, twenty seventeen November, uh, mm -hmm. became a platinum platinum member of CNCF, like many other companies. So they've been actively supporting them. They, of course, uh, have a compliant Kubernetes implementation. It, which is the Azure Kubernetes service. So it's a fully compliant Kubernetes implementation. So mm -hmm. if you're an Azure developer, you can write your microservices uh, using AKS, and you are now writing in a manner that is compliant with, with, with CNCF. So, so you will be able to take that application, move it to another public cloud provider, perhaps, or even an on-premises provider that is compliant with the, with the CNCF mm. Kubernetes standard. 
so so that that is clearly microsoft is, is is going in that direction and you know of course they've been doing other things here as well right you know, there's something called very recently i think it was the ignite time frame or maybe earlier than that so cncf as i mentioned earlier they're not trying to be uh, the standards body there right they're projects first as they like to call them so hey envoy looks interesting has a lot of momentum behind it can we bring envoy into the umbrella of projects that we incubate and we you know promote and things like that and the idea is that you know by bringing projects from different types and requirements and functionality you are providing a full stack cloud native development along with tooling hmm. of course without becoming something like an open stack which is you know a complete stack by itself which is you know one the way to describe it would be one monolithic stack of course it's open source <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> open source but monolithic <laughs> but here you your your stack is essentially defined by a collection of these these projects yeah right, right. so so you know you could you could write kubernetes and you could be fine and then you know things like something the new specification called cloud events right which is very uh, pertinent to the serverless piece we were talking about that wouldn't it be great if we had a common schema to define a cloud event so mm-hmm. turns out that there is even though cncf does not set standards they are big about projects and they are big about interop so we'll talk about a couple of examples of interop one would be cni container network interface container storage interface so they are about interop hey projects you can all come here and and you can you know prosper but can you you know inter- interface with each other using these container network interface container storage interface and things like that right so similarly they defined something called the cloud events so microsoft said great we will support cloud events in fact when cory sanders did a blog post he said azure was the first cloud provider to support cloud events so if you go to a service like event grid in azure you have an option of being sent a message which has a format that's compliant with cloud event booyah has has he been on this show yes and the, and the reason for the booyah is we were in sweden and we started drinking wine at the beginning of the show by the end of the show everything was booyah booyah you know it's an hour long show uh, we were we were a little booyah all right cloud events let's get back to there so we we were just talking about cloud events as as you know again a common standard now a cloud provider like azure comes along and says hey we will support this natively you can go use our azure event grid service and we will emit an event which complies to the format of cloud events so where i was going with this answer was of course you know microsoft is embracing cloud native so you can use services like aks and event grid with has cloud events and you know similarly for networking the azure networking team implemented something called the azure cni so uh, you know they bridge the gap between what a container or a pod needs in terms of networking and what the underlying azure networking provides so they are doing a lot of work in that area the question i i have is what about services like app service right which which are great services very popular being used by lots of people how does that play 
into the cloud native world because you know clearly app services can do containers you can bring a container and you know right. say hey con- container run this in fact there has been a containerization across the board of azure services whether you are azure batch mm-hmm. uh, whether you are uh, app service you can bring a container so while you can do containers and you are embracing that aspect of cloud native but the orchestration part is still app service and that's not kubernetes so those are the kinds of things that people need to pick and choose and if you are building an app service unless you are running an azure stack you can't run that app service application in in a non premises environment or another cloud provider so right. those are the other considerations that that start coming into play there and this is why i said remains to be seen uh, how yeah. The cloud native story evolves. Yeah, I'm also looking at like the cloud native trail map and so forth, and like you know they're pretty container centric. I love this idea of coming together and working around standards. But where is serverless in this this tapestry? Because I'd love to have a serverless model that was cross multiple platforms. So, so absolutely, Richard. In fact, in fact, they have uh, a serverless working group as part of CNCF. Mm-hmm. which brings together the inter- intersection of of serverless with containers so they are absolutely going in that direction of being able to do uh, serverless which is in a cloud native manner so you you can essentially take your code and run it in any environment now if you look at azure functions they make their entire runtime available as a container itself so right, you know right. by definition you can run that container runtime in a non premises world if you wanted to so that's certainly part of that i think uh, there's a lot of work to sort of look at the intersection between containers and uh, and serverless and and try to bring that into the, the fold of the cloud native well and just to clarify it's like you know serverless doesn't mean no server it means you don't own the server mm-hmm. and serverless doesn't mean no container it means you don't own the container <laughs> so the idea that we'd have a set of commonly configured containers that represent p- typical workloads to the point where it's like just run this for me don't worry me about orchestration or instancing or any of the things that we normally have to think about with containers that it just goes away i just run my code that's all serverless actually is that's right in fact uh, microsoft done some really interesting work as you know there is a service in azure called azure container instances which is really about hey i have a container image and i need to run it and i'll just give you an image i don't want to worry about orchestration i'll just give you an image and quickly start up my container and i'll pay for just the cost of running that container yeah right, right. so that's that's the azure container instances service what i really liked was so you can go to azure kubernetes service and of course what that service does is it you know it gives you a control plane which is the entire kubernetes control plane and then mm-hmm. you get to bring your vms where these pods get deployed right but you are now paying for each each node in that cluster is nothing but a vm so you're paying by the vm right now what they've done so it's a very richard to your point it's a very container centric architecture now here is where uh, we start to mix these terms so what if you want to suddenly handle a workload where you need to spike up you know you, you let's say you have a bunch of microservices and now you get 
some spiky load put on this AKS cluster. You can certainly start adding more VMs and adding more nodes to the cluster, but that will be slow. So they've created yeah. essentially a connector where you can say, hey, uh, if I need to burst out to handle the spiky load, create me a virtual node, which essentially means is it will go go over to container instances and then spawn up a bunch of containers in the container instances without you having to pay for that entire machine or even wait for that machine to be added to the cluster. Right. So people describe this commonly as as serverless containers. <laughs> right. So so th- so some some really interesting things happening and I would read really remiss to say that uh, so kubernetes is a com- aks is a compliant kubernetes implementation but what does aks bring to the to the fold well what if you wanted uh, enterprise role based access control what do you, what if you wanted to integrate with azure ad what if you wanted to give granular permissions to your users so i'm a compliant kubernetes implementation but i will give you other capabilities which may be needed by your enterprise, like role-based access control or uh, you know, common event logging and, and so on and so forth. So a lot to, lot to digest sort of what's happening, but what I like about the space is, so we are taking sort of the good principles of building these cloud native applications. We are, we are bringing these projects that have traction in the community, and then we are forcing cloud providers to adopt these projects. So if this uh, bandwagon continues and gains, continues to gain momentum as it has been, then I think all of us as developers and our customers stand to benefit because we can write these applications which are adhering to these principles, plus we get the momentum that is powering the development of these tools and projects. You know, it just keeps evolving. And this is what I love about the, the cloud space is that, you know, as uh, it, it, it seems like iterations take less time for things to just work. Like you've, by the time you figured out that you need a tool, it probably already exists. That's right. That's yeah. uh, things have, you know, I think one of the angles is, you had there, Vishwas, is a little subtler to grab onto is ultimately it's not in the public cloud provider's best interest to build universal tools that make you portable between the clouds. They want you locked in. And it's interesting, you know, the Kubernetes started out as a Google product, and then Microsoft picked it up, and then Amazon picked it up. I just, I'm, I'm curious as to the engine that it takes for us as a community to kind of force these cloud providers into, this is table stakes, you must have these things. That's right. That, that is right. And that's what, the, is the, for me, the amazing part, that in the short period of time that this organization has existed, maybe two years, because of the support, they've been able to force the providers to embrace these projects mm. and bring them as part of their offerings. And there, there are some other benefits to be to be talked about here, right? If you look at Kubernetes, for example, one of the benefits is that it optimally places these containers on the nodes and something we call bin packing, right? Which is so you are if you're paying for the VM, you you are using that VM to the fullest. So now we are talking about significantly reducing the cost of running these applications because you can uh, run 
multiple of these applications using the same footprint. Now, you, of course, have to worry about every time you say that, it's not easy, I realize, because now you have to worry about the logical separation of these applications. Do you want dev one and dev two environments to be on the same cluster? You may or may not want it, or do you want the production to be in its own physical cluster? You have to think about those things. Mm. But even so, it is forcing people to think about, you know, I've seen too much wastage where people just spin up these VMs, have the lift and shift of these applications to the cloud. And yes, I am now in the cloud, but I am paying this much amount of money without fully utilizing the power of the resources that I'm paying 24 by 7. Mm. So once again, we are forcing the users to think about these things carefully and pay only what they absolutely must. This totally feeds back to serverless, where serverless, you're only paying for your code to run. And, and the moment it isn't running, you stop paying, as opposed to containers, where you're still paying for the container services and, and you know all of those bits, as opposed to VMs, where you're owning the instances of the VMs and, and the maintenance, as well as the ongoing minute-by-minute -minute cost. That's right. That's right. So, you know, the, as you said, with serverless, you're paying for the times of the times that code has been executed, assuming you're using the dynamic plan. Of course, you have the dedicated plan in Azure as well, if you right. if you wanted to have a dedicated capacity. But the, what, what I described with uh, the connector model, Richard, where you, you are paying for the nodes, let's say you have a five node AKS cluster, but then you have a burst out need where you just spin up more pods in container instances and you pay for that time as soon as those pods come down you stop paying for those hmm. so that's another model in between the the serverless model and a fully dedicated vm model so you have to think carefully what your application needs which model will work best for you of course all those considerations come into play but the good news is that we have these options and as developers we need to understand you know, how to take advantage of these constructs so that we can build the most cost-effective application for our customers and for the organizations that we work for. I got to think that some folks are looking at this and going, all of this, all of this infrastructure is about brownfield migration. That given a true greenfield cloud-native opportunity, it'd just be serverless. Is that reasonable or do you still see that even when you get to start from scratch, there are places where you want to own the and control the containers? So that's uh, a great question. <laughs> sure. Sure. I, I am, I'm not sure if I can give you a definitive answer because I have not. You can posed that go question. with the standard, my friend. It <laughs> depends. I can, um, I, I can go to it depends. I've tried to ask that question of myself a few times. and I don't think sure. I've given a convincing answer to myself even. So let, let me try to unpack the question that all the things that you're talking about are hey, these are all existing applications and you're converting them over to the cloud and this is probably the best thing you can do. If you were to rewrite these applications, wouldn't you just rewrite them as, as a serverless application? Mm -hmm. And somebody said recently, I forget which forum that isn't containers sort of the last form of, of dinosaur computing before we get rid of this dinosaurs and everything becomes serverless. Somebody said something like that. Mm. And and that that was an interesting, thought-provoking comment. Now, we have to what you have to think about is can you have applications that require non-trivial logic, which will require non-trivial state management, have a long-running processes? Can you run those in in a 
serverless environment. Now, I'm sure people listening to the show will say, hey, you have durable functions now, which give you this capability of a long running function with some state management. So, you know, functions are not staying still, right? They're evolving as well. So you're getting more and more capability there. Yeah. But I also also think about, you know, all the dependencies is the biggest problem. In my mind, when you are building these applications, your dependency management is one of the hardest thing challenge for you to manage. And from a container standpoint, being able to take out all your dependencies and creating a hermetically sealed container, which is immutable, that's a, a definite advantage if I'm writing a non-trivial application, which has non-trivial dependencies. And in in serverless, I still have to deal with the, the dependencies. You know, do I, when my execution context gets enabled, I have to first worry about a cold start problem. And now there are some some solutions to that. But you know, people have dealt with on this on the serverless side the cold start problem because hey, you were not even in existence when this call came in. And you know, you have to go through that cold start uh, pay that you have to cost that you have to bear. But even if you solve that, the execution context in which that function is running, are all the dependencies there? Are the right versions of dependencies there? So you have to right. think about it, right? So uh, that's why, you know, I have not, uh, I wish I, I would have built a non-trivial application just using serverless. And I don't think there is an alternative just, just going doing that. I've not done that uh, myself. All my functions have been very episodic in nature where I, I was receiving an event, I wanted to do some processing and then write, write here or send some message out which are sort of the canonical use cases or functions. Well, I've also seen peel-offs, right? Where it's like, this is the piece of this app that's struggling with performance. Let's try it in a serverless architecture so we stop fighting adding more uh, VMs or adding more container instances and so forth, and we can just take care of this piece. So it's, it always does seem to be the exception. That's right. You know, some of my enterprise customers, uh, the the other factor that has come in, and, and, and Microsoft certainly trying to solve this is, so when you're running in a, in a dynamic plan with, with functions, many of these financial services customers or customers in general who, who are uh, in a very controlled sort of environment, they're very careful about what is their network segmentation. Is the function, that code that is running, that execution context directly connected to the VNet or am I being sort of uh, running an environment which is shared by others, mm-hmm. right? And and many of those capabilities are coming now. So VNet is, you know, um, the Azure networking team has made VNet available, for example, uh, for Azure container instances. So you can spin up a container and say, hey, this container instance is the only entity that can talk to Cosmos DB, mm. even though this container instance is not directly connected to VNet. So some of those network isolation functionality is being introduced. And I think that will make it easier for sort of more complex, larger enterprise kinds of applications to be built on that serverless platform. People may have already done that. I just haven't had done that. And if your listeners are, are, are listening to this, uh, I would love to see the comments of people who have built large-scale applications and things that they've run into. Vishwas, uh, this is this is all great stuff. And can you give us some uh, resources for further reading, or uh, maybe places that you're speaking, or 
webinars or anything like that? So I would uh, say a couple of things. One is the CNCF itself has a place where there are a number of tutorials to get started, uh, workshops, hands-on labs. Even on the Microsoft side, uh, Brandon Burns, who, who, who leads the AKS development, has many talks at Ignite. I would mm. encourage you to go watch that. Uh, the, you know, the videos from October this year, 2018, a number of talks related to uh, Kubernetes and cloud native. And Very in good. general, uh, you know, look at the, 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 the land, landscape of cloud native projects on cncf.io. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Vishwas. It's been great. Thank you. All right. We'll talk to you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a talk.